Welcome to A Learner's Journey. My name is Molly Sanders, and the goal of this podcast is to inspire and motivate you by connecting you with a variety of passionate horsewomen and men who have dedicated their lives to helping horses and their people. I'm grateful you're here. Welcome to the latest episode of the podcast. Today, you're going to get to hear a conversation that I had with Dr. Susan Fay. She's the author of a fabulous book called Sacred Spaces. And after I read the book, I was very intrigued to talk to her and was lucky enough to have her say yes. She has a rich knowledge base backed by years of research and experience. But when I think about what she does, to put it into simple terms, it's helping us to make small changes in ourselves that can have profound implications for our horses. There are a couple things I want to let you know about, about the interview you're about to hear. We did this interview several months ago, and before we did the interview, Warwick Schiller had just put on a wonderful event for his podcast, where he invited folks that had been on his podcast previously to what was called the Journey On Summit. And I asked Susan about this, because she's one of the people that was invited to present at the summit, and I asked Uh, Susan about the event. So you'll hear me refer to that. That's what I'm talking about. And then one other thing, we will have a uh, guest um, that joins in on the interview about midway through, and it is Rue, my dog. One of the things that I've gotten pretty good at is hitting the mute button at certain times, and I missed it. And uh, you're going to hear her uh, basically howling a couple times. And uh, so she had some things she wanted to share as well. I'm happy you're here. I think you're going to love the conversation. So you recently participated in the Journey On podcast summit that happened this November. Um, It sounded like a fabulous event. And I was curious to find out what stood out for you about that experience. What stood out for me on that was the level of enthusiasm that people had and that hunger they had for finding some new ways to interact with their horses and to do training and to really work on themselves also. So it was just this wonderful thing of like exploring outside of the box that we've always been put in with with horses. And the other part that kind of stood out for me was the level of acceptance and um, vulnerability that was shown by not only the people that were speaking, but the audience. And, you know, there was that camaraderie that was going on. That's wonderful. I think that's what uh, really impacted me. Yeah, that's great. And do you feel like, I mean, you've been doing this for a while. Do did that, does it feel like there's something happening that's new or is it just like, I'm wondering if, if it feels to me like it is kind of a new thing that people are embracing this idea that it really is me that needs to improve, you know, before I can help ask my horse to improve. And do you feel like there's just a bigger acceptance of that or what what's happening? And I do. And it, what was interesting about the summit was that it there were no horses there. We were not doing horse demos. We were talking about just what you said about what do we do as humans? How do we change? Right. And I mean, I think that is for most of my lifetime with horses, you may be the same. It's like there was very little focus or anything ever mentioned to me about what I should do differently as a human. Right. No, it was like, make the horse do this. You have to learn this skill set. Yeah. And that was my job was to learn how to do the rope skills, how to do the riding skills, how to, you know, those kind of physical things. Right. But it was almost like, well, the horse has to just deal with who you are. Right. There wasn't, like you said, there wasn't really even any thought that that was a part of it. No. Yeah. If you can ride and do the ropes and all that stuff, everything should be fine. Right. Yeah. Right. 
Really cool. So we're, we're definitely going to dig more into this um, topic um, as we go, but I, I wanted to see, you know, how that, how that went for you, but I, I'm really curious to hear a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today. So um, will you tell us a little bit about like the beginning, like how, how did you get involved with horses? You know, I like, very a lot of people i guess that find themselves addicted to horses it's it it starts and it's something that you can't really put your finger on but i i can only remember from the time of my first memories was it was about horses it was an obsession about everything horse related and even my father i saw him in thanksgiving he said oh yeah i think you learned to talk at two years you know when you were real little only to ask questions about horses and and so i think it's really funny that my parents did not like horses of course you know and we're totally ignorant about anything to do with horses and you know when we moved to the mountains i was about eight or nine years old and i probably pestered them so much that they're like yes we'll get you a horse right and and thank goodness it was the 30 year old horse that had been through every kid in the valley so it wasn't that, oh, we'll get you a young one. So you right. two grow together. No, it was, uh, at least they made that decision. Mm -hmm. And um, there was very little where I was growing up where you got instruction. It was like, oh, well, there's only a few things you have to know, kick to go, pull back to stop, pull this way to turn that way. You know, there was very little instruction. Right. And somehow, I goofed around with the horse and rode up and down the mountains and didn't have a problem, but that's probably because I was a kid and had the kid brain. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And is this all happening in Colorado? Did you grow up yeah. in Colorado? Oh, wow. So you've, yeah. you've been in this, in that state your whole life. Um, pretty much. I, after, um, graduating from high school, there were no jobs. So I went to Florida for a while and okay. Okay. found my way to the East coast for a while and then back to Colorado. Okay. So you were this horse crazy kid, like many of us, uh, I think many people watching and listening totally relate. Um, and that story that you told, I love that, but you know, really the only reason you learned to talk was <laughs> so you could ask about horses. That's so great. Um, so when did you start to get this idea that maybe this would be something that you do professionally? I had wanted to do that professionally from the time my first memories, but I had the parents who were practical and they said, you know what, you can't make a living that way. You can't make a living doing this. So it became my hobby on the side, mm -hmm. you know, when I was doing the real world things that I was supposed to do. And, but there was always that study and that immersion in the horses as much as I could. That's wonderful. That's yeah. wonderful. And what was the, what was the practical thing that you, what, what road did you go down for the practical thing? The funny thing is I, I, I became an environmental scientist. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it was funny because back then this was, this was a long time ago when I was, you know, in school. So mm -hmm. early eighties, I'm in college. I'm the only woman in every one of my science classes. Wow. And they didn't even call it environmental science back then. They called it land use. So oh. my, my first undergraduate degree is in land use. And then I got a master's in environmental science. But it was kind of that same, a lot of the principles that go into like the environment and, and ecosystems and that kind of thing apply to horses, apply to ranching, and which I ended up doing later. Mm -hmm. So there were all these pieces of that um profession and the way that you think within that profession about connection and how things affect each other that i took into the horse world with me when i really immersed in that end right right um and for those people that maybe don't know um who you are i think a lot of people listening and watching know who you are and maybe have read your book but for those that don't know you've written this wonderful book um called sacred spaces and i love the subtitle it's communion with the horse through science and spirit so as you're talking i didn't know that your background was in environmental studies um but it makes sense and like you said you know it it's about the interconnection 
of the the species, but of nature. And then that's kind of where you went with horsemanship too, um, which is fascinating to me. And I also really appreciate your science background in the book, um, which we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit more about as well. Um, so how are you, what are you doing with people now? How are you helping people now? I'm, it's interesting that, you know, maybe I have the opportunity to do some really big kind of clinic and things like that. But what I've really wanted to do is stay in that relational place where everything that I do is like a one-on-one -on -one because a lot of the stuff that I do cannot be experienced or taught in a big setting with a lot of people and a lot of horses, a lot of activity. And so my thing now is really helping individual people with their own horse. And how do you, how do we create a better relationship there? And how do we die? I don't want to say diagnose or how do we explore some of the behavioral things that are going on with the horse in light of the energy in light of, you know, where's that horse's life taken it? What experiences has that horse had? What experiences have you had? And what are your skill levels and, and putting all of those things together, it's, it's like an ecosystem, essentially, you know, right. these micro eco ecosystems, which is the horse and its owner, or the right. person that takes care of it. And, and really, like, how can I make the healthiest ecosystem for those two? Interesting. So they can work together. Interesting. So um, with your book, uh, you really in the beginning of the book, I really appreciated one of, well, one of the things I really appreciate about your writing is that you write in stories and you share stories throughout the book, which I think is so powerful because it's one thing to read an explanation of something, but then a whole nother to hear, uh, you know, it relate in a story that we can relate to. And um, so in the beginning of the book, you shared this really amazing story about really how um, a shift happened in your own life about what's possible with horses. And um, would you be okay if I read a little piece of it? Absolutely. And, okay, cool. And then um, if you would maybe share the rest of the story and then how it, um, what was the change? What, what did you learn through this uh, okay. story? So uh, my whole body was shaking uncontrollably. Waves of fear and sorrow traveled down the lead rope I was holding in my trembling hand. At the end of the rope stood a beautiful red gelding. My storm of emotions appeared to have no, no effect on him whatsoever. Peering into his beautiful soft brown eyes, it seemed that he, he was trying to calm me down. He was trying to calm me down, like I was the one with a problem. I wondered if he was in shock or just too tired to fight any longer. Or maybe he knew that he couldn't escape his fate and he was waiting patiently for death to rescue him. So an incredible, incredible opening scene. This is the beginning of the book. I'm like, oh my gosh, where am I going? Oh my <laughs> and, gosh. Yeah. So can you share with us what happened and, and yeah. what effect, I mean, what, what did you learn? Oh, and, and it's, it's interesting that even as you read that, I had that emotional reaction to it. It took me right back there into that feeling of this hopelessness that I had, that I couldn't help this horse. And he was stuck in a cow guard. He had gone through it during, um, we had a bunch of snow and then he, I guess he tried to walk over and then just sunk in and then he was stuck. And, and I'm there and I'm like, I have, it's just me. I can't do anything. And the, the person was with me, there's no way we're gonna get him out of there. Right. And so I, I thought at that moment, like, what could I do other than just hold a space for him and just be there for the last bit of time he had? And, and at that time, I mean, I had dabbled in the idea, like we could communicate with horses in other ways, we could make pictures, we could do those things. But I thought that was reserved for other people. Like I would pay somebody to, to connect with my horse and tell me what it was thinking. I didn't really truly understand that I was doing that all the time and that I could actually do that. Right. And, and this is where this takes me when, when I go, okay, I'm going to go through my Rolodex of things to do. And all I could think of was I'll make a picture, a little movie of how he could get himself out of there safely. Mm -hmm. And I just started 
closing my eyes and thinking of that movie. And to the astonishment, it was, it, it was so odd to actually see him do the thing that I pictured. Right. And, and find his own way out of that predicament. And, and I remember when the uh, person that was helping me, she had gone to make a phone call because of course you don't have cell service down there in the middle of the, the valley. And, right. and it took her quite a while. And I remember her leaving and it's like, we're going to get a gun. I mean, there, yeah. you can't get a vet down there. I right. mean, we're in the middle of nowhere, Colorado. Right. right. And right. it's so, freezing, right? It wasn't freezing. super cold. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's like, Oh, I just don't want to do this tonight. You know, you don't want to see that happen. Right. And um, she kind of left with that, a little bit of like re resignation that oh boy this is what we've got to do and right. and um it was so interesting i think the most baffling thing for me was that when he got out and he was standing there and i looked at him and he had one little tiny scrape of hair missing off of his back leg mm -hmm. I'm like this is crazy Right. And he's standing there. He was shivering because he'd been in there all day. And I think he was a little in shock. And and she drives up at that point and he's standing. We're standing outside the cattle guard together. And and when I wrote in the last part of that story, it's like the humans said nothing. I don't think anybody could reconcile what happened or how that happened. Right. Because th that was impossible. Mm -hmm. And so you know like people do in those situations they don't say anything mm -hmm. they just pretend like well that didn't happen you mm -hmm. know we'll just go on and just right. pretend like that never happened right uh, never to be spoken about again but that particular incident when i believed that other people could do it but i didn't think i could that was the shift in me like oh my gosh everybody can do this and we put limitations on ourselves because we say, oh, well, that person can speak to animals or that person has that gift. That was what propelled me to start to study, like, what is it that happened? How did it happen? How right. can I replicate that? Right. And so, you know, when you talk about pivotal moments in your life and what propels you onto a different path, that was one of the things. Yes. And I love, I love what you're saying um, for so many reasons, but one of the things um, for me, cause I've, I've always had a skepticism about um, animal communication, you know, uh, calling somebody in another state and explaining things and they're able to, you know, I I've always been skeptical of that. I've always felt like, well, there's so much we don't know, right. There's so much we don't understand. So I've always I haven't just said it's absolutely impossible, but I'm close. I, you know, I've always been kind of close to that. But there, I've had experiences not as dramatic as what happened for you and that red gelding, but you know, I've had experiences where I felt like horses have understood where I was at, or um, or have done things that I've been picturing. So I know that there's something to it, but the thing that I really appreciate about your journey is like what you just shared that you took it on. You were like, that was so earth shaking for me. And I want to understand what happened. I want to understand what's behind it. And then you took your science background. So this whole book is this wonderful combination of you explain the science behind certain things. And then you share, you know, the stories and, and then you also help people um, with practical applications of mm -hmm. how they can how could, how they how they can practice things and make these things happen for themselves. So I'm totally hooked, and I am oh. so I'm so appreciative that you've done this because oh. I really I really have been um, skeptical. But the way you've written it, I'm like, this makes sense to me, and I can apply these things. Um, so can you share a little bit about like one of the things that I thought was so interesting? We and we kind of hear about these days is the different brains. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what is that? Like, so you talked about the three different brains, what is that? And how could knowing that help people with their horses? Um, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting when I was going through, like, what are all the things that affect what we're talking about? Like, um, all the science and everything, and I, I'm going down these 
different pathways. And, you know, as, as a health researcher, which was what I was doing, I was doing psychology and health research. And I, it took me into these places like that. Why, oh, wow, there's actual science behind all of these things. And I, I'm like, why isn't that out there in a bigger way? And how could that, you know, my brain's always, how could that apply to my horse world and right. what I do with horses? Right. Um, so the, the whole idea about the three brains is that we have a gut brain, a heart brain, and then the brain in our head. And they, scientists consider these distinct brains in the terms of that, because what they're doing is they have their own nervous system independent of each other. And they are able to take in information, sensory information from the environment and process it and then send it up to the main brain. If they think it, you know, that that happens unconsciously, whatever, what we're doing, but our body is always getting sensory information in processing it, deciding if it's relevant or not relevant. And then the stuff it thinks is relevant, it'll send to our conscious mind for us to take action with. Mm -hmm. The problem is that we as humans for so long have shut off our emotional, that's the heart brain is the emotional center. Mm -hmm. And all that emotional information, we're kind of told as humans don't, oh, don't be emotional. Don't, you know, that shows you're weak or something. No, that gives you a lot of information. Right. And the, the gut brain is about telling us whether we're in danger or not. It's a very primitive brain. It says yes or no, you're in danger, you're safe. You're in danger, you're safe. And mm -hmm. people, they, they talk about it all the, oh, I had a gut feeling I was gonna, like I shouldn't do that. And then it's like, but then they ignore it. So right. a lot of what I'm trying to teach people is listen to your heart brain, listen to your gut brain. It's giving you vital information about your interaction with your horse. And guess what? The horse doesn't work very much in the brain brain when we right. start analyzing and, and thinking and, and doing all that human stuff up there. Horses go, that's just static. Right. They're working from the emotional center, the feeling center in the body mm -hmm. more right. than they are from what we're going to think our way through something. Right. Or the gut. Or the gut. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're sharing this, I think it is interesting in the horse world how it is. I mean, in, in, in the human world, in the adult world, it's kind of, we're, we're taught to put those emotions away, but then you take the little microcosm of the horse world and we're really taught that, right? Yeah. Um, don't, don't let them see you be fearful and, uh, you know, get back on and all those little messages that were given to, you know, put on our big girl pants or whatever, whatever the things right. you hear and, and it, it does convey, don't listen to those things. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And, and I think this was a question that had come up during the summit is somebody said, can you, can you fool your horse with an emotion? It's like, mm -hmm. you know. No, you can't mm -hmm. because they are so much about getting sensory information and evaluating emotional and feeling right. information from their environment. And so, so can, no, can you, you talk, can. can you talk a little bit about that? Cause one of the things I really thought, I thought was really interesting the way you presented in the book where if someone is having emotional distress, they can be around a horse that is centered and and not right. We've all had this experience where we've gone and cried on our horse's shoulder or whatever. And it, and we felt this calmness. Can you share a little bit about what's going on there and, and how that can work, but then also how, if you don't have a horse that's centered, how it can, what that can look like. Oh, this gets into a big topic, but I'll, I'll try to condense this down into, you know, kind of an easy Thing. And then I think later on, I'll touch a little bit about, there was another question you had where I'll touch about what happens when a horse has been exposed to a lot of trauma in its own life. Okay. So we will go on that journey a little bit later here. But what I've noticed, um, like with the horses that I trained and, and were at my ranch, and it's like, I'm with them every day, and they're seeing all that interaction, and, and everything is like, out there you know they know who i am they they see me every day and they it's like i have a bad day they come and soothe me they it's like they can pick up on that 
but I'm, I'm honest with it. Sometimes I would say, or I'd go out and go, I do, I'm not feeling the greatest today. And it, it's interesting how they would come over and try to soothe, mm-hmm. you know, and then the other thing that other end of the spectrum is like, we have a lot of anxiety and we don't want to address it or we have a lot of something going on in our life emotional and we don't want to address it and we think we can suppress it and go out and and interact with the horse and the horse is going yeah you're just a little off today mm-hmm. i'm not sure i want to interact with you and the right. people are going but i don't understand i'm doing all the physical thing you know no he can feel there's an energy signature there's an energy frequency that gets transmitted out of you when you're having different thoughts and emotions and the horse is reading that energy and saying that person's safe i don't think i want to be around that person today right and so you know really in a lot of the work that i do with people one-on-one is be having them become aware of what is the energy you're emitting from your body right Mm now Mm -hmm. right having awareness of that and what is the effect on your particular horse because like you said, some horses can deal with that. Some horses cannot. Right. And so you've got to kind of know, wow, I'm dealing with a really sensitive horse and that really sets him off when I start getting anxious or doing this, you know, worrying and all this kind of stuff. Maybe I need to take some steps to kind of stop that. <laughs> right. And what's something that someone could do if they know they, they realize that they recognize that they're, you know, more anxious or they're having more emotion that day um what's something that they could do to help Uh, and and this gets into you know some of the things that i teach but one of my foundational things there's a couple things that i i want people to do is like there's a certain type of breathing that i'm going to do i don't think i really go through it in depth in my book Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's this awareness of your own body and what is your body communicating what are you feeling in your body because that's when i when i take people into like uh, a place of awareness and what energy are you transmitting it's all about can you scan your own body can you notice how your body feels right now and do you want your horse to feel the way you're feeling right now right if you check yes then keep doing that but if you're having anxiety and you're, you know, tense somewhere and you're holding it. I ask him, do you want your horse to feel that way? Because he's going to mimic that. And then the way that we work on those things is through awareness. Oh, scanning my body. I felt the tension come up. You know, everybody will have a different place where they'll feel anxiety or something come up. And I want them to be aware of that. And then what we do then is go to this breathing technique that I do, which is very simple to ground you and reset your body, to bring you back into presence, to slow down your brain, to make you more relaxed, and to start to emit to the horse a an energy that says safety and comfort. That's wonderful. Rather than anxiety. I love that question of do you want, would you want your horse to feel this way? That's a powerful question. Um, because it it really does cause somebody to go, okay. I do have a responsibility here and, and I want to change. Yeah. Um, So that, that's really great. That's really good. Um, So one thing I wanted to ask you about is I, I, I've, um, I'm almost done with the book. um, And one of the things that I really, I've already put into practice is the visualization. And um, you talk about the productive contemplation. Um, and can you can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, you know it's it's interesting where as a um, researcher and scientist, it, it's like when you get into academia and you're in there, it's like how complicated can we make everything? How <laughs> big? What big words can we use? And how can we make this so complicated that nobody could actually do it? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> and then as a researcher, going back into practical application of research, I'm like, nobody can do those complicated things. How could I take information about the science and look at it and then figure out an exercise that we could do that would make that so simple that somebody could actually apply it every day easily? Yeah. 
without like a big long list of things you had to practice. And here's where it gets into, you know, I've done meditation in my life and, and I'm thinking, well, most tourist people say, I don't have time for that. Right. So what I did was I took the breathing method that I just was talking about. That's a form of meditation. And what people have found is that in just a, like two, three minutes, they can be present, slow their brain down, relax their body, you know, feel really, really grounded in just two minutes versus the, and they've said this, it's like, wait, I've done traditional meditation for hours and I've never experienced this feeling I felt in two minutes of doing that breathing mm -hmm. method. And so that is what I'm trying to do is take, I, I want all these things to happen physiologically, emotionally, mentally, all these psychologically. How can I have that happen in a simple way, in a fairly quick way that people could apply? So right. this is essentially what the productive contemplation is. It's a way to meditate, but you can do it with your eyes open. And it's a practice where you start to train your brain to go through and replay a scenario or create a scenario before you actually do it. And it can happen, you can make them really short, like a minute less than that. Like, let's just say I might do productive contemplation and decide I want to go saddle my horse for the first time. What I'm going to do is I'm going to stay in my breathing and I'm going to imagine using my visualization skills, I'm going to imagine the saddling process and I'm going to imagine myself going through it. I'm going to see where there might be a little glitch in the system, you know, and, and so what it does is it starts to create this thing in my conscious mind where, oh, you already did it. This is what you do all the time. And it trains your brain to go, oh, when you make a little picture, that's what you want me to do? Yes. So you're going to find with the productive contemplation that the more you practice these just little short scenarios, like I'm going to go build this thing. What tools do I need? Um, you know, and you, you imagine assembling all your tools and then you go through the process of building something real easy. And then you go, Oh, I should have got that other tool. I needed that other thing. So it's really helping your brain start to go, here's all the things you need to accomplish your task. So it helps you become more focused and more you know like on one topic if you're all over the place all the time when you do the productive contemplation you're having to focus on one task and completing that one thing so you're training your brain to stay focused on one thing that's great oh. i love it and i love it because i think that we we already do it mm -hmm. but we usually do it to the negative Oh, exactly. Right? Usually play the story and it's, oh, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And it just, it reminded me of that. And as I was reading it, I was like, wow, this is really cool. Cause you're talking about having more control of, of creating the story that you want exactly. and spending time on it. Um, and then you went into talking about the, the science behind visualization and, you know, how powerful it is. And it's been proven over and over and over throughout, you know, all different sports and, uh, that it's, it really, it really does work. It's not just this, you know, thing out in the, in the air. It, it, right. it, it really is based in, in science. So I, I think that's really great. Um, that, that's already helped me. I've been doing little bits and pieces of it. Um, and it's, I've, I've felt a, a difference, um, yeah. in with me. Um, so really great. Um, so what, as you, you know, you've, I love that you, you know, you get to work with people one-on-one, -on -one, um, with their horses and throughout the time that you've done that, you've probably noticed some patterns, um, that people have, um, and that can kind of get in their way with their horses. Um, what's, what's something that you've noticed that is an obstacle for progress with people and, and then something that you could share to, to help them? You know, when I get into, because I'm talking in a place where it's, there's not a lot of people that have talked about energy and horses. And, and so what's happening with a lot of people is that I see getting in their way is that belief system. It's like, no, that can't happen. No, I couldn't do that. I'm not good at that. 
you know, so those limiting self-limiting beliefs are what really stop people from from achieving some things. And the other thing that I see is also this programming. And I I got programmed to about in the horse world, you know, it's like, don't let that horse get away with that. It's being rude. It's doing that, you know, all of these things that you were told time and time again for decades, right? That a lot of this was programming over decades of the horse does that thing and that means that and you have to correct that right away. And I see them struggling with this because I'm going to tell them when they're out there that horse is has a particular behavior. Let's just say it's it's coming in your space. So the first thing that I was taught was like, get that horse out of your space. It's rude. Mm-hmm. Got in mm-hmm. your space. Right. I'm going to ask the people to evaluate why is that horse in your space? What do you think is causing that horse to need to be in your space? Hmm. And to look at it in a more complex way, like there's most of the time when I find that is that the horse is super insecure and it's looking for some kind of reassurance and it doesn't have a big skill set to go, oh, well, I could handle that better. You know, it doesn't doesn't know how to get its needs met. Right. And so I'm out there going, okay, I could experiment with this and see if that might be true. Like he's really insecure. And what I'm going to do, this this going to kind of be jumping ahead, but how I use the energy is like, I'm going to model for him what it would feel like in my body if I have this soft confidence. Like I could do that. Hmm. I got this. I'm grounded. I'm secure. I'm, and so what I have people do is then create that feeling in their body. Can you create that feeling? Can you model that for your horse? So I'm going to be breathing. I'm going to be holding that feeling in my body of what it feels like to be softly confident. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to watch those horses change. You don't touch them. You don't do anything. They relax. They go, oh, that's a, I never would have thought of feeling like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't expect that they could pull a skill set out of the ethers and apply it, but we could model something for them. Here's how I'm dealing with this situation. You could try that. So they're right. going to pick up the energy from you and go, hey, I'm feeling better. I don't feel like I need to be on top of you now. Right. That's really you know, interesting. So things like that. Yeah. Do you, do you find that in that scenario in particular, do you find that it's partly also because the person hasn't had that quiet, like you're saying that confidence that there's, they're kind of uh, fearful or whatever. And so the horse is kind of coming in and they're feeding off each other. Oh, absolutely. And when I Mm -hmm. told you at the beginning, I'm working at things like there, it's the whole ecosystem together. It's not just the horses thing. When I ask people to, especially a lot of times with the confidence, soft, I always put soft in front of it because I don't want bravado confidence. Mm -hmm. I'm going to run over the top of everybody. Mm -hmm. No, I want it to be like, I know who I am. I know where I'm going. I know I can get it done. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I can be relaxed and soft. Right. That's my soft confidence. But what I'm finding is a lot of people can't do that in their own body. Right. They can't, they can, they've never had a plan or something they've done that they felt that way. Hmm. And so my question to them, you know, when we go through these different things, what does a horse need? If we expect the horse to be able to exhibit a behavior that we cannot do ourselves, that's not fair. Right. You know, it's like, I figure my job is to learn enough about myself and create these places where I can be a model mm-hmm. for how do I deal with this situation? Right. And so, then the horse learns. Yeah. So there's a couple things um, going on in my head. And one of them is that that idea of if we, if we can't do it ourselves, because so often you'll hear about um, connection, relaxation, Um, Those are two big things that you hear a lot. You know, I want my horse to be connected. I want them to be relaxed. And sometimes I'll see people that are saying those words quite a bit and they're neither one, right? They aren't connected at all. They're talking about all these different things. 
and they're not relaxed. They have so much tension in their body, but they're holding their horse accountable to those things. So I think that's so good for people to consider, like, can I, that we need to create that in ourselves in order to help our horses with it. That's so good. And then the other thing that popped into my mind is horses, um, see what you think about this, that, that in my observation, horses find this with the herd, they find it with each other, but that when they come into the human world, that's where like the, the example you were giving of the horse that's invading space and that they didn't know that that feeling was possible. Is it that they didn't know that feeling was possible with people? Um, I think a lot, yeah, a lot of times because we are very energetically complicated. I can't even imagine what a poor horse does when they see a human coming like, whoa, that's just like static. Right. You know, it's like all this stuff going on and blah. But the more we become focused, that's what the productive contemplation is for. More you can like focus in and decide, this is how I wanna be. This is how I wanna feel. And then watch what the horse does in response to that. When you can hold that, they become like, oh, you're one of us. Right. And what I'm finding is the whole idea of connection. I talked a little bit th- about this as my topic at the um, podcast summit that, you know, everybody's like, I want connection. I want connection. And it, and I, I asked this in my talk. It's like, so what is connection? Connection in and of itself means nothing. It can mean you're standing next to somebody, you're touching somebody, but it doesn't define the qualities of that connection. And so that's where the horse world with the idea of connection as the big word, it's like, but what, nobody knows what that means. And then when I ask people, what what do you mean by the connection, what they get to, and that's why I use the word communion in the title of my book. They're looking for that deeper feeling of heart to heart, mind to mind, spirit to spirit communion. Right. Right. Which is way different than connection. Yes. And, And again, if you can't do that yourself with another human or even within your own body to feel communion with your own body, what are my thoughts? What are my feelings? What are my emotions? How could you create that between another being? Right. Yeah. And one, one of the things that you talk about early on in the book, and I think it's when you're, when you're, um, delving into that idea of the three brains and you talk about, and I might not get the terms right, but the, the waves, the alpha waves and the beta or a bunch of the Greek word waves. Yes. (laughs) Um, and you were talking about that, that you can simply like to, to get to the kind of waves that horses respond positively to that you can simply think about something that brings joy to you or a time when you felt safe Mm-hmm. And think about that, like maybe um, before you go to get your horse, or if you're having trouble in the arena, maybe going out and just thinking about one of those times that that can change your brain waves or your, yes. yeah. Um, and that, that, that they can, you know, they'll respond to that. And I think that that's just, it's so simple, mm-hmm. but it's such a powerful thing. Is there anything else that you would want to share on that? topic? I I think I just want to share because, you know, I did go into in the book, I talked about the different brain waves and the frequencies. And, you know, for the people that get into science and all that, they're like, Ooh, I love this. I wonder what frequency I'm doing. And they'll get all obsessed with that. And that's making them get in that analytical part of their brain. You can't take that into the relationship with the horse. So the way I'm having people figure out what is the frequency. It doesn't really matter what it is. What matters is what is the effect it has on your horse when you do that particular thing. Right. And so we're going to define those things by the way they feel in our body. How do we feel right now? And so each energy, like if you were going to do safety or, or if I was going to do confidence, those two things have distinctly different feelings in my body. Oh. I will not... <laughs> I love that. See, it's just like, yes, finally. Yes, my dogs are playing. 
<laughs> my dogs are playing at my feet. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> oh, we love animals. They, yes. Perfect. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I want people to get out of that place in their mind where, oh, I've got to worry about, I wonder what frequency I'm in. It doesn't matter. Look and see what's happening with your horse. Is he responding the way you would want him to respond? That's really good. And so it doesn't really matter. And that's where it gets into when I say, a lot of people say, well, when I go to teach, you're not very sciencey like I thought you would be. Well, no, I don't want to be that way because you can know that that's where we're working from. The fact that we know that this is the foundation from which we're working and that that's why it works. But I want you to let go of all that and get into your feeling body when we're with the horse. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. For me, there was a section in there where you, um, where you were listing the different feelings that go with the different waves, brain, brain waves. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, And that there are certain waves that horses respond positively to, and then certain ways that they don't. And there were certain things like anger, frustration that we all would go, Oh, of course that's going to fall into that. But um, I think, I can't remember. It was like problem solving, you know, that went in there and I was like, wait a minute. And it's exactly what you're talking about, where if we're being analytical, we're trying to think through things and we're with our horse at the same time, we might not have the greatest results. Mm -hmm. And that just really, it really kind of stunned me. And then it also reminded me of something. So I was a Pirelli instructor for several years And one of the things that Pat used to say was um, to do our uh, thinking at night and our feeling during the day. And it's that same concept. So it kind of hit me that, oh, wow, that's kind of where that's, that's what that is. Yes. Yeah. And and it's interesting. It gets back to, you know, kind of the end of my uh, talk at the summit. It was, it was weird because I was in that place where I, I didn't have a script and I was kind of doing my talk. I knew what topics I was going to touch on, but I didn't plan out exactly what I was going to say. And then it was interesting because I looked at the clock. They had a little timer for your 20 minutes. I'm like, oh, I still have like a minute and a half. And then like in my brain, it's going, well, what do you, what do you say in a minute and a half? And then all of a sudden it came up about um, Hugh Lofton, who wrote the book, Dr. Doolittle. Oh, okay. And I was like, why did that, you know, so here I am in the middle of my talk, like, Dr. Dula, what, what, you know, so this is all going through my mind. It's like, no, I'm supposed to say something about this. What is significant about Dr. Doolittle? Oh, maybe Hugh Lofton knew about communicating with animals. Maybe he was trying to tell people that they should do little. Oh, because I go, well, he didn't name his character Dr. Doomore. He named him Dr. Doolittle. Mm. So it gets back to that thing where I think he was trying to tell us what we're talking about now. Do less, not more. Be quieter. Mm. Be in that space there. Don't be analyzing. And and I think that, you know, it's so interesting when because I talk about the whole idea of intuition and, and connecting to our intuition. And, and it was one of those things where I'm in the middle of this talk and my intuition's going knocking. Hey, remember Dr. Doolittle? I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I don't know what the, I'm in the middle of like in front of all these people. I don't, you know, and, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, oh, well, that does have relevance. So I, I just love that whole idea. Like we're, I'm trying to help people connect with those spontaneous things that come in and you go, I don't know what that is, but I'm just going to go with it. Right. Where's this taking me instead of me analyzing and, and going, I'm going to analyze my speech down to every word I'm going to say. And then what does it sound like? It sounds rehearsed. Right. And, and so much of what we do with horses is here's, here's our formula. Here's our rehearsal. Let's do it this way instead right. of feeling the free form. Right. And that freedom of expression and things could come up that would be even more wonderful than you could create. Right. Well, that brings me to a question. Where do you feel that skills come in? Like, 
um, writing skills, the skills that do take repetition, how does that, uh, how does that fit with what you're talking about with the intuition and listening to yourself? Is, does that make sense? Yeah. And I think it's really, I mean, I, from what I know about you and where you've gone as an instructor and how many skills you have to have, you know, I, sure. I, and I'm, I'm really thankful for the time that I spent acquiring those basic skills. I think they are so fundamental because what they do is give you this ease of I can handle this situation. I have a skill set to handle what might come up. And I know I'm going to be able to deal with that. So I think it's critical that people have a skill set with horses. But how we apply that skill set, I think what I would do differently from when I was originally taught the skill set, there was a lot of like tension in them. And it's like, do this, do that. I noticed that when I started a horse after I'd done more of this, that there was an ease in my body. There was never any place where it came up where I have to make him do this. And the fact that I acquired the skill sets for the mental part of it, the emotional part, combined with the physical skill set is what I think propelled it to a different place. So I would say each is equally important. Yes. And I think that what you just said there really a big light went on for me that, you know, I have put so many years and hours into developing these skills and they're still so far to go. Right. Yeah. Uh, But the, the part of the, the mental aspect, the emotional aspect, the things that you're really helping people with, um, I, I have put time into that, but it still feels new. Mm-hmm. All these things still feel kind of new, like these new skills, these new things. So I think that that's so, um, it's so wonderful that you're bringing this. Cause I, I do think in the horse world that it's common knowledge that, you know, of course you need to practice your riding and you need to practice all of these other skills, but not so much the other part, it's becoming more prevalent, like yeah. we talked about in the beginning, but it's still, I, I just, and maybe it's just me, maybe it's just in my journey that it's new, but you know, the, the concepts that you're talking about in your book, I just feel like every horse owner at, at, of any discipline will benefit yeah. from practicing these things. Um, but- you know, you talk and it's it's funny because I, I work with athletes too, kind of in between and bef- whether it was horses or any other sport, but I noticed that it, it's not just the horse world where they've kind of dismissed this idea of the other, you know, the mental part of it. It still seems to be a really new concept for a lot of athletes. Yeah. And, and I find that really surprising because they go, oh, I don't, I've got a lot of talent. I don't need to work on my mental game. Right. Hmm. Well, your physical talent only goes so far and the mental game is actually more important because when, when you're all your physical skills go to tank, when you're stressed out, right. Competition. And that person who has a stronger mental skill set is going to win during that time. Right. And that's kind of where I feel like it's so important with the horses is that we have this mental skill set of stability. Because mm-hmm. we're, I don't like to use the word leadership necessarily, but for me, a horse, if I am mentally focused and I'm stable and I can hold whatever it is in chaos, they're more likely to say, I'd like to be next to her because they're going to go, I'm going to wait. She's not reacting. Wow. She's the right, right, right. right. And and they're going to look to me when they get into trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's so, great. Yeah, really, really good. So um, is there anything that you now that the, the book has, when, when did the book come out? I forgot to look. Um, I published it in 2019. It was okay. written a couple of years before that, but okay. you know, it, it kind of sat for a while with. Yeah, sure. As they do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's, it's been, it's let's been just say 2018 years. when it was in its formative time. Okay. So is there, are there any, is there something that you would include now 
oh my god <laughs> what what you know it, it's really interesting that as i go around teaching clinics people go but this isn't in your book this isn't in your book this is and and there's just so much that i would in fact i think about writing another book or a handbook or something to that effect because there's so much more to this when i wrote sacred spaces i felt like it was kind of like this gentle introduction to like this other concept and I better not get too far out there or put too much in it mm -hmm. or because then it would be just a waste of time what if nobody listened to it or was interested right but now I mean there's just so much more about a lot of techniques that I might use to get us into certain brainwave states or relaxation and all of that. Plus, there's this huge piece of it that I, I talked about at the very beginning about that effect of trauma on the body, whether it's trauma in the human or trauma experienced by the horse and how that can influence the relationship and what you do, how you identify trauma or emotional problems in a horse and what you can do about them. Right. So that is, you know, so many people call me, it's like, I've done all the things you talk about and I'm not making progress. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because this horse is having, has a lot of trauma. Mm -hmm. And so it cannot do those things. It cannot hear you. Just think about people who are, you know, if they're very traumatized and you're trying to tell them something and they're just it's like talking to a wall, right? They don't hear you. Right. The same thing is happening with these horses. They learn to dissociate in a similar way to humans and they just block you out. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you can do. So you've got to go in and, and do something about that situation first. Right. Before the relationship can change or things can happen. Right. So that would be a whole nother entire book probably. Right. Right. Yeah. So um, I'm sure that there are many people, um, well, including me, that would love it if you wrote another one. Um, but so if people are hearing this, they're, you know, you're resonating with them. How can they, can they learn with you? Like, how, how do people go about um, maybe taking the next step and learning more of these uh, techniques? And um, right now I do, um, private one-on-ones i can do them virtually through zoom so they can go on my website which i guess i can give you it's just www.drsusanfay.com so it's wonderful. very cool. wonderful yeah and they can i i'm hopefully uh, in the next couple of weeks i'll get a scheduling app on there so that you can just go in and schedule a time so Great. you can do those virtual sessions with me in the summers uh, spring, summer to fall, I do a lot of clinics around the country. Wonderful. Um, and a lot of times what I've been doing is I'll do maybe a demo clinic and then work with people individually after that and just stay in an area and go to that person, you know, one-on-one, -on -one. cause okay. that's really the way you learn this the, the best. Okay. Um, and then I'm hoping to get a, I keep promising people this. One day I will get an online class going. So that's, that's on my winter schedule is like, get yourself going and get that done. Right. Yeah. Wonderful. So, that's, yeah. that's great. Um, well, I want to just say a huge thank you to you for writing the book um, and also for talking with me and sharing a little bit more um, with, with folks that are listening or watching. I know that this is going to help some people and I'm sure that they're going to want to delve further and read the book. It's, it's so good. Um, it's so well-written and it's so accessible. Um, I, I really appreciate that. So thank you very much for coming on today. Oh my gosh. I can't tell you how thankful I am for you and, and everything you do. And I've heard such wonderful things about you. So I feel an honor to be on your, your podcast. Oh, here. thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and I hope you're also inspired to check out Dr. Faye's book. It is fabulous. Actually, it was quite a while ago that I had this conversation with her and after watching it again, I want to revisit the book. I love what Susan shares with us about the changes that we can make in ourselves. And it got me thinking that that can be really inspiring to know that 
really most of the problems that we have with our horses, most of the challenges that come into our lives boil down to us needing to make a change. And that can be inspiring, like I said, but sometimes it can be really daunting too. Um, And I just find it really helpful to remember that it's the small changes. It's the little things that we do day in and day out, whether we're with our horses or not, that can make a big difference over time. So if it feels daunting to you, just remember, make one small change today and then tomorrow show up and try it again. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and I'm really glad that you're here and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.